Thank you, Jeff and team, for leading us this morning. I don't know about you guys, but I, I've had the privilege of working with a lot of worship leaders um, over my lifetime. And there is something unique when you have a teacher of worship. And that's what Jeff is. I've always learned something from him. He draws some lyric to attention that I didn't pay attention to before. Um, and I just appreciate uh, his willingness to be here and to lead us. Um, good morning. Yeah. Good morning. My name is Cindy. As you know, we're in a series called Easy Yoke, where we've invited several voices to come and share what Jesus is teaching them. And when we do that, we get a chance to learn ourselves as we listen to them. And a few weeks ago, Becky Cleveland came and shared about rest and how um, Jesus is teaching her about rest and how important that is and how we need that in our lives. And then the next week, Roland came and shared about how he's learning that um, God really does give us this incredible opportunity to make people's stories better when we love and we serve them. And then last week, we had Gabby, who we... Uh, <laughs> Gabby has a fan club now. Uh, Gabby, I believe, is the youngest um, teacher, preacher that we've had here. Uh, Jimmy, I don't even know what to say about you on the age of the man I'm about to introduce. So um, anyway, Gabby came and shared about how Jesus is teaching her about uh, control and patience and that God really does have a plan for her young life. And it was a, it's just been a powerful series. And today I have the privilege of introducing our guest, who is a dear friend. His name is Jimmy Dodd. He is based in Kansas City. Um, and Jimmy and I have been friends for many, 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 many. Last service, he had me add, me add one more many um, years. We have known each other. Our families have been intertwined. And we have celebrated uh, life and death and graduations and birthdays and so many other things uh, in our journeys. And I call Jimmy a true friend. Uh, Jimmy is a, a friend who is not afraid to ask hard questions, to encourage, to support. Um, I don't know how many times we've had conversations on the phone where I just dive into whatever needs to be shared and he says, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute, how, how are you? Uh, that's a true friend and it's a gift. Um, and so I don't take that uh, lightly. There's a lot I could share with you about Jimmy, but the fact that he's coming after me makes me a little nervous of what he would share about me. So I'm going to be kind in this moment, and I will tell you that he is the CEO and founder of PastorServe. It is an organization, organization that is based in Kansas City. Um, they have a staff of about 40, and uh, the mission for the last 22 years has been to do the very thing that the name of the organization says. They go in and serve pastors and wives, their wives and families, and they care, uh, they listen, they guide. Um, sometimes pastors need a safe place to be able to process. And I will tell you from firsthand experience in working with Jimmy and the team from time to time that this is a calling. It is a lifelong calling for Jimmy and the team, and it is a privilege to be able to work with them uh, out in the field. Um, Jimmy's heart really is to care deeply for those people on staff at churches and, and beyond. Um, I also could tell you that Jimmy is the husband of Sally. He is the dad of Mark 
and Megan and Sarah and Paige and Allie, and he is the grandpa of five, uh, including a set of twins that were that was born last summer, or last last fall, I guess. Um, and so he is uh, he's busy, um, and we've asked him to come this morning, not as a CEO, not as a founder, not as a husband, or even a dad or grandpa. We've just simply come ask him to come and share. What is God doing in his heart? What is Jesus teaching him in this season of life? And so would you please give a pulpit rock welcome to Mr. Jimmy Dodd. Thank you, Cindy. I will be nice to her. It's very tempting to share some stories, which I have, but I will be nice. It's, it is great to be here. It's great to be here. I've, I've had the privilege to, uh, to, to meet, I think, most of your staff, and I know two of your pastors. And, um, you know, I, I, I have the chance to work with uh, lots and lots of churches across America. Let me just say, you, you guys are very blessed here. I trust you know that. You're very blessed here with very strong, very, very godly leadership. I love Jonathan and his passion and vision. So just, just know that God has you in a good place where you will hear truth, you will hear gospel truth, you will hear God's grace gospel truth. So I'm just very grateful for the staff and this chance to be here. And it's interesting that you've asked me to share um, about things that God is, is, is teaching me uh, because it's, it's an interesting time in my life. And if you would have asked me last year or the year before, I think the message might have been different. But to be very honest with you, this past year has been difficult for me. This has probably been one of the more difficult years uh, that my wife and I have had in in a long, long time. Uh, you know that there's those certain things that just kind of create some real consistency in life. And uh, we've been in uh, the same church for 13 years and just made a switch about six months ago. And it was painful. It was hard. We've been in the same Christian school for 26 years, which my wife and I started. And because of the same issues that just seem to be tearing the church apart right now, we had to leave. And it was, just, it was really, really difficult. Uh, in my family, we've had four, you know, four major surgeries in the past year. It's just, it's just been one of those years where it has been difficult. And there's been times I've found that I've just kind of said, as I really don't think about it, I might just say, gosh, God, what's going on? You kind of owe me, you know, because of all I do for you, you kind of owe me. And then I just have to stop and catch myself. And I have to go back to truth and reality and scripture. So God is teaching me a great deal in the midst of some hard things, in the midst of some valleys, in the midst of some pain. Listen, it's been a hard year for everybody. I mean, it's been, a hard, you know, there have been more hard things in this past year for pastors than there have been in a long time. Because of, you know, just because of the issues of COVID and the issues of racism and the issues of you know, Christian nationalism. And we could go on and on. It has been a really difficult time for pastors and it was a lot of those same things that have just, it's really made this past year hard. Because we know that the world as it is now is not the world that God ultimately intended it to be. It's not the world that he originally intended it to be. Six years old were not intended to die from COVID. Pastors were not intended to watch their daughters die in a horrific car accident. Children aren't, supposed to walk, aren't just supposed to walk through life in great tension with their parents. Young mothers were not meant to hear you have stage four breast cancer. Husbands and wives were not meant to be unfaithful to each other. 
Boys and girls were not meant to be bullied by their peers. That's not the way that God created it to be. The world was not meant to be marked by war. And the color of your skin was not meant to be a reason for, for rejection or to be marginalized. See, it's interesting because I think that all of this makes us think a little bit more this past year about death. Because we hear about death every day. We hear about death because of COVID and we hear about the death numbers. And it's interesting because I think that in the Christian church, we have done everything we can to avoid talking about death. We don't like to talk about death. We don't like to talk about suffering. So we avoid it in every way that we can. That's, that's me as well. And so we find ways to just avoid it. And we don't, you know, because for, for years and years, people died at home, surrounded by their families. That's the way it was for centuries. It's only in the past maybe 90 years that most people die now in hospitals, surrounded, you hope, by their family, but for oftentimes the medical staff. Things have changed. We don't say, hey, she died. We say, well, she passed. We just don't like to talk about death. We find it extremely difficult. But what's interesting in life is if you really want to know the way that somebody thinks about life here now, ask them this question. What do you think happens after we leave this planet? I mean, what happens after death? What do you believe about life after death? Because if you can begin to grasp that, you will begin to learn so much about how the thought of forever and the way that they will live forever or not live forever, the way that that impacts the way that they live right now. And that's what God is teaching me, that the way that I think about eternity has got to have a massive impact upon the way that I live right now. Because listen, there are things in this life which are tragically unexplainable. A young man who I'm close to, who I love, who has done so much to help the ministry of pastor serve, 33 years old, He's an ultra-marathoner. He's in an ultra-marathon. He's running 50 miles. He's 100 yards from the finish line, and he's struck by lightning and killed and leaves behind a beautiful wife and three small children. How do you explain that? A young African-American pastor that's been a huge blessing to us at Pastor Serve over the years with one of the brightest smiles I've ever seen in my life passes away because of covid how do you explain that? Veil pastor, Craig and Lainey Smith, watch their girl Addison killed in a car accident as they're in the car right behind her watching it. The pain of that is just, it's, it's, you just don't even have words for it. We have to understand that there are some wounds that are so deep that they will not heal up in this lifetime. There are some wounds that are so deep that they will only ultimately heal when we see Jesus face to face. Is there a next chapter in your life? Yes. But is there still that ultimate pain that is not gone until you see Jesus? Yes. So I want to talk about how the way that we think about heaven, how it impacts eternity and the way that we think about forever. And then I want to talk about the way that, the way that we think about forever, how it impacts the way that we live day to day. And I think the best passage for this is in Psalm 73, verses 21 through 26. Such a powerful passage. It says this. And this might be where you are this morning. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. My wife has called me a brute beast at times. 
Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And here's this great promise, and afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Powerful. I love verse 23. I'm always with you. What does that mean? It means the presence of the Lord is always with us. Perpetually, continually, eternally, persistently, repetitively, tirelessly, always and forever, unending both now and forevermore. It is always with us. It's interesting, as a pastor, you know, you start to talk with, a, you know, a friend and they learn that you're, I mean, the pastor, and they always have questions about the afterlife. That is probably the most common question. Oh, you're a pastor. I've always had questions about the afterlife. And they want to ask all these things. Uh, can, you, can you explain to me what, what the afterlife, you know, what, what it looks like? And uh, can you explain where we go? And can you explain to me kind of what we do? And there's times in which I don't get excited about the afterlife because in one sense it looks so boring. Because it looks like we're all just going to kind of sit around on clouds. We might have harps and I don't, that doesn't look all that you know, exciting to me. That is such a false picture of the afterlife. In the afterlife, you know what you'll do? You're going to work. Work was a part of a perfect world, and then sin came and brought pain to work. It brought toil to work, all of those things. But work was part of a perfect world. So you know what? When we go back to a perfect world in heaven, we will have jobs. There are things that you will do. You will wake up in the morning. You will have things that you're going to have to do throughout the day. Some of you might have jobs in this lifetime that actually prepare you for the job that you have in heaven. Like Jeff. Jeff has great job security because he's a worship leader. There's going to be worship leading in heaven. If you're a doctor, if you're an attorney, if you're a nurse, if you're in the medical field, if you're an insurance agent, whatever it might be, you know what? You're going to need to find a new line of work because those things don't exist in heaven. I believe that there's attorneys in heaven. There's not practicing attorneys in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Maybe that was a little bit overly enthusiastic. If you're an attorney, we love you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Just be nice in this lifetime. All right. But you will have a job. You won't have a mean boss. You won't have mean, cone, you know, mean you know, person that works in the cubicle next to you. you know, I mean, like you won't have a 20-minute lunch in heaven. It'll be different. People say, gosh, am I stuck with this body in heaven? Will I have a new body? Of course you'll have a new body. People say, will I be close with my spouse? One of the most common questions is, will, will my pet be in heaven? Easily answered. Your dog will be in heaven. Your cat? <laughs> Do we eat in heaven? Of course we eat in heaven. There's the ultimate banquet. There's the, there's the banquet of the bridegroom, the feast of the bridegroom. Of course we eat in heaven. Are there sports in heaven? And if there are sports in heaven, will the Broncos ever beat the Chiefs? Because it's been so long, I can't remember last time that happened. You see, the reality of heaven provides perspective to the pain and the heartache of this life. Now, I have tremendous faith in God's word. I love God's word. I believe it's absolutely true. But there's an unfortunate translation, which I think that most scholars, if you look it up, most scholars agree this is a really unfortunate translation. It's right there. It says, my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And if you have a pen, you might just want to cross out the word may. 
Because scholars will tell you that's not there. It's not there actually in the Hebrew. It's not even implied in the Hebrew. The verse says, my flesh and my heart fail. It's not if it's going to happen. It's, no, my flesh and my heart, they will fail in this lifetime. No question. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, there are difficult times in this life. We can't avoid that. Scripture is full of this. The scripture is full of the Psalms, which over almost half of them are lament Psalms. They're painful songs. They're groaning Psalms. Job goes through so many difficulties in life, and we have to read about how God uses even these painful times. There are hard things in life. There are very, very difficult things in life. But it's for sure. It's not may, it's not might. It's this absolutely will happen. And then comes the spiritual counterattack. And the spiritual counterattack is these two words, but God. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Maybe some of you right now here today, you're in that moment where you need a but God moment. That's where I've been this past year. This past year, I've needed to just stop and say, okay, all of these things are happening but God. So many times in Scripture we hear this, ah, but God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God, who demonstrates his love towards us in this way, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's powerful. The psalmist that writes this lives an imperfect life and finds that God is always consistently forever with him. Jesus lived a perfect life and found that there was a point in which God was not with him. On the cross, when God had to turn his back upon Jesus, when Jesus cries out and says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you know what that means? It means Jesus who was at you know, one point was rejected so that you will never have to be rejected. Jesus took the weight of sin so that you won't have to bear the weight of sin. Jesus took the punishment so that you will not have to take the punishment. So this is a tremendous gift given to you, which means that the answer is not trying harder, it's not doing more, it's just opening our heart to receive this incredible gift of what God has given us. But we have to understand, we will never be forsaken because Jesus was forsaken, and that impacts our life now. So how does this truth, how, how, how does this change the way that we live right now? How, how does this frame the way that we think about God in the present? And this has been on my mind a lot this past year. It was on my mind a lot these past few weeks. I was on vacation with my family. We don't get a lot of vacations. So I felt very blessed to be away, you know, just to have some fun time with my family. We're on a bike ride for about two hours, the scenery, Absolutely incredible. We get done with this bike ride, and then my 16-year-old faints. She's just completely dehydrated, and she takes a very hard fall. And there's a little bit of me that thinks, God, come on. We're on vacation for the first time in a long time, and this happens. And that the place that my heart just goes to so poorly is, God, you owe me a little bit more than this. You owe me a good vacation. You owe me a decent vacation. This isn't going to help at all. And that God reminds me, do you understand my faithfulness to you and my kindness even in this? 
You were in a bike ride for two hours next to cliffs. If she would have fainted on the bike ride, she would have very likely died. Do you understand the grace that it was that she fainted at the time that she did, surrounded by people and her car nearby and all of these things? But I get this skewed perspective. And I think, God, I just want a little bit more. The evangelical church hates to talk about suffering. We do. The Christian Protestant church, we don't like to talk about suffering. We want to avoid suffering. And because we want to avoid suffering, we do everything we can to claim promises of God that he's going to make sure that we don't have to go through suffering. But here's the catch. God never promised us that. God never promised us that we would not go through suffering. As a matter of fact, he promised us exactly the opposite. He said, you will go through hard times. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have trials. You will have heartache. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Romans 8, 28, God does promise us he will use all things for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. I say ultimate because there are so many things that happen in this lifetime, you will not know why they happen. You will not understand why they happen. There will be confusion, but ultimately we have to trust. Ultimately, this is for our good and for God's glory. What it means is this. When we have a sense that God owes us, it leads us to a place of entitlement. And that's not a healthy place. Can that, because that at times can void your ministry. I mean, that can make you feel and be perceived as being just embittered. We think, well, God, for all I've done for you, you owe me. Hey, God, I'm older, I've tried to walk with you, you owe me. God, I'm younger, and I feel entitled to earn more in life than my parents earned, because I want to live a bit more comfortably. God, my parents have gone to church their whole life, and my mom is very ill. God, you owe her a peaceful death and a painless death because of all that she's done for you. God never promised us that. And the thing that God has said to me, which I would share with you this morning, don't hold God in contempt for promises that he never made. Don't hold God responsible for promises that he never made to you. God never promised that you would get married. God never promised that you would not have a miscarriage. God never promised that there would not be stage four breast cancer. God never promised that you might not be struck by lightning. God never promised that you're going to have a really good spouse who's going to love Jesus and do all the right things. God never promised those things. And yet so often we hold God in contempt because we're angry. We say, God, but... God has promised us incredible things. Some of you here this morning, I mean, this is you. You're angry with God because you're holding him in, you're, you hold him in contempt for promises that he never made. God, I'm sick. My children aren't being obedient. My husband and I don't get along. My friend has cancer. We have to come back and take a hard look at our own hearts. Because when you begin to hold God responsible for promises that he never made, here's what it leads to. It leads to guilt and shame. Because you start to think, well, wait a second. God promised these things. These things are not happening. Therefore, it must be me. I mean, my, my mom is having this painful death. I think God promised a peaceful, painless death, and it's not happening, so it must be me. And it's going to lead to guilt and shame. Listen, 
God has made us promises in Scripture. And you know how many? 7,464. Is that incredible or what? 7,464 promises in Scripture. And some of you can't think of one right now. You're thinking, okay, wait a second, wait. You caught me off guard. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's a promise. When you are weary and burdened, I want to give you rest. That's a promise. There are so many amazing promises that we can claim. You see, there's a difference between God's gifts of grace and promises made. So I have a friend, and he called me, and he said, hey, I've got some news for you. And this is a friend that's been very involved in Christian ministries, and he's been involved in lots and lots of really strong churches, and he's just this guy that just has this big, big personality, this amazing brother. And he said, hey, I wanted to call to tell you something, because I don't want you to hear it from anybody else except me. And I said, okay, what? And he said, well, uh, my wife and I have joined the Catholic Church. I said, wow, with your background, uh, that's a little bit surprising. Can you explain the story? He said, actually, I'd like to meet with you face-to-face, and we can have dinner, and I'll share the whole story. So like that next month, we met, and he shared the story. And he said, you know that we moved to this town just about a, about a year, year and a half ago. And I said, yeah, yeah, yes, I know that. And he said that you know that just after we arrived, that my young wife was diagnosed with the, I mean, just the worst thing in the world, stage four breast cancer. I said, yes, I remember that. He said it was interesting because we had come to town and we had some friends that were Catholic and they asked us to go to Mass with them one time. So we went to Mass with them one time. We just thought that was just a thing that we just did one time. And then our girls, they started to get very involved in this church and the youth group. And so we went to this church a couple times. And it was right after that that my wife was told, you have stage four breast cancer. And so it was interesting because we really didn't have a home church but we had gone to this Catholic church once and this evangelical church a few times, but they both adopted us. And they both adopted us as, oh my goodness, we're going to walk with you, we're going to care for you. And he said over the next year, he said it was just, it was incredible because every Monday night, this evangelical Protestant church, there was a group that would come every Monday night and they would bring a meal and they would stay and they would pray over my wife. And every week, they would pray the exact same prayers. They would pray, Lord, we come against this cancer. We claim the promise that you're going to push out this cancer. We claim, Father, the promise that our sister will be healed. And we pray that your spirit would come. Now, Listen, it's not wrong to pray for healing. We're told all over Scripture to pray for healing. But when they're claiming the promises of, of, of God that she will be healed, that's bad theology because there is no promise. There's not. It'd be wonderful if there was, but they were claiming promises that God never made. But it was all about the victory, the victory, the victory, doing everything they could to avoid suffering. God, free her from suffering. Free her from any suffering. God, we pray this suffering would be gone. Then on Tuesday nights, the Catholic Church would have a group come over. They would bring a meal, and then they would pray over my wife. And every week, the prayers were the same. God, remind our sister that you are with her in her suffering. Remind her that you are always with her. And in her pain, and in her doubts, and in her heartache, Remind her that you are the shepherd who will always be there for her. You will always hold her right hand. You are always present with her. 
We pray that through her suffering, she would fall more in love with Jesus. We pray that in the midst of her suffering, that she would see you more clearly. And he said, the two nights could not have been in greater contrast. And after a year, and by God's grace, she was healed, we joined the Catholic Church. I couldn't push back against that. I said, dude, I get it. Because they were talking about real life. And there's times I don't think we talk about real life. Now listen, make no mistake, God has promised incredible things in his word. He promised us he would always be our shepherd. There will be a beautiful life forever, not an easy life now. We know that every suffering that we go through, it's a temporary suffering. Because every ultimate piece of suffering was poured out upon Jesus on the cross. And because Jesus ultimately suffered, we won't have to ultimately suffer if we are his children. He's promised us that he will take us through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus never promised you your best life now. He promised you that he would be the best savior and redeemer now and forever. He never promised you a greater success story. He promised you a greater Christ. He never promised you greater resources. He said that you would have a greater grace. He never said that there would be no suffering, but he said that in the midst of your suffering, he would be the absolute ultimate shepherd. God promised us everything in Jesus. He promised us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We need to learn to live real life as it was designed by God to be. That's what God has taught me so much over this past year. Every surgery, every heartache, everything that didn't, it's like, God, you never promised me that there would not be real difficulty and conflict in a school or in a church or in this situation, but you did promise us that you would be with our family through absolutely everything. Because we serve a resurrected Jesus who promises me eternal life. And I love the words of Doug McKelvin, when he says, hey, we serve a risen Lord. And Jesus Christ, who is the God of the resurrection, resurrects peace today from the discords of yesterday. He resurrects hope today from the discords and the discouragement of yesterday. He resurrects strength today from the weariness of yesterday. He resurrects faith today from the doubts of yesterday. Jesus Christ, he resurrects love today from the wounds of yesterday. And he resurrects life today from the wounds and the death of yesterday. Jesus Christ is our redeemer, our savior, our adopter, our friend, our brother. He's our redeemer. And he promises he will be with you every day of your life through everything that you go through, no matter how difficult it might be. So if you're holding God in contempt for promises that he never made, today let go of those things and embrace the promises that he does make us. The gospel truth. He took the ultimate punishment so that you would not have to. He is forever with you. He is forever for you. He is our God and our Redeemer and Savior. Embrace that promise and find hope, joy, confidence, peace, and the ultimate hope in those promises in that reality.
Let's pray together. Father, we do confess to you that so often we're angry with you because things don't go exactly the way that we think that they should go. We confess that there's times we, we hold you as responsible for promises that you never made. Father, this day we want to release any anger, Lord, any bitterness, and we want to embrace the promises of God because we know that those things are true, that they are eternal, they're forever. God, I pray that that message of your gospel grace would go forth consistently and faithfully from this pulpit. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the way that you have used Lord Jonathan and the staff and other pastors here to do the work of the kingdom of God. Father, thank you for the fact that this church is a beacon to Colorado Springs and the Midwest and the world and the Rocky Mountain region and east and west, north and south, all the way to Lebanon. Father, this church is having incredible impact around the world. Thank you for their work with Care Portal, the work they do for orphans, the beds that they provide for so many orphans in the Rocky Mountain region. Father, thank you for this church. Father, continue to bless it and strengthen it for your kingdom, for your name's sake. Because ultimately it's your name that's on the line. So, Father, even for the difficulties in life, we give you glory, praise, and thanks today. Even for the painful valleys, we thank you that you walk with us through those. And, Father, thank you for my family in this past year through church change and school change and surgery and health and fainting and everything else. You have been there every moment of every day. You have been faithful. So we give glory and praise to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the head of this church. Amen.